Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Busy, the show where we talk happiness and success, work-life balance and productivity. My name is Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show and on this episode I'm interviewing Grace Marshall. She's the author of a book called How to Be Really Productive, recently nominated for the CMI Management Book of the Year. Uh, and also uh, a good friend and a colleague within the Think Productive business. So Grace is actually one of Think Productive's productivity ninjas and is out and about running workshops for a whole range of different clients. So if that's of interest at the end of this, and you'll probably hear a little bit about this during the, the episode as well, uh, then do drop us a line. It's graham at thinkproductive.co.uk or you can just check out the site thinkproductive.co.uk, thinkproductive.com and uh, many others around the world as well. So uh, this probably has more of a homely feel than some of the other ones that I've recorded, just because I know Grace really well. Uh, So we actually recorded this in my front room uh, on a Friday night. Grace had a London thing uh, coming up over the weekend and she's based in Stafford, so doesn't get down to to London or she gets down to London a fair bit actually with, uh, with different client stuff, but doesn't get down to Brighton very often. So we really had to sort of juggle the schedules to get this to work. Uh, Grace has a husband that commutes, two young kids, ferrying them round, uh, doing lots of workshops on the road a lot, on trains and planes and everything else a lot as well. Uh, so it takes quite a lot to get the diaries aligned to do this, uh, which we did. But we did it over a Friday night, glass of wine in hand. And you can email me and tell me if you feel like this first episode of Beyond Busy with wine feels different to any of the other ones. But uh, this is Grace Marshall. And uh, we start by me asking her what she's doing in London and uh, how that allowed her to get down to Brighton. So I am going to a conference. Um, It's a conference for um, Christian women in leadership. It's a bit of a a treat for me. So this is my birthday week. Yeah. And and the conference came up on on Saturday. And every time I go to these conferences, it's it's always... um, it's an inspiration for me. It's kind of charges me up. It's a boost. Um, and considering it fell on my birthday week, I thought it was very appropriate to treat myself. And it's women in leadership. So there'll be like a bit of kind of business networking combined with a bit of input combined with, you know, so it's like killing three or four birds with one stone, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Cool. So you're down south. Uh, we've It's been taking, it's taken us a while to get this in the diary, right? So yeah. you're based in Stafford. Mm-hmm. Um, which shouldn't be difficult given how often I'm up in the Midlands as well. Yes. (laughs) But it still has just taken a while to get together. So uh, lovely to have you in Brighton. Um, You said to me before you were quite nervous about doing this. Yeah. (laughs) So tell me why. Why why, why are you nervous? Um, Yeah, it's a funny thing because, I mean, I I suppose I've done lots of interviews and podcasts before, but I suppose when you asked me to do this, I think two things popped into my head. The first was... um, um, well, the first was imposter syndrome. So, you know, I, I know some of the people that you've invited to, you know, to speak and, and, and there's part of me that's going, I'm nowhere near as interesting as those, pe- as those people. So there's kind of a, you know, there's, there's a lot to live up to there. But I think the other thing as well is um, I've just come out of a season of book writing and I feel like I've just kind of dumped my brain into that book and then I've come out going, what else have I got to say? <laughs> <laughs> So I think that yeah, those kind of two things combined made me feel slightly nervous. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure uh, listeners who are listening to this for the second time will um, 
will very much disagree with your imposter syndrome, as everyone does with every, everybody's imposter syndrome is wrong, right? Like that's yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> well, no need to be nervous. Uh, and I should explain just for the podcast. So Grace actually works with us at Think Productive. Uh, you are one of our esteemed productivity ninjas uh, covering what's you have a line about what region you cover <laughs> so officially i'm the midlands productivity ninja but the midlands has gone as far north as edinburgh and as far south as budapest um, so you're down in london uh, for tomorrow and you're just saying to me as well that the last week has been a bit slower because you had your birthday and mm-hmm. all that sort of thing um so uh, i suppose it's like that sense of like ebbs and flows mm. with with work and stuff and this is something that you talk about a lot is the rhythm of work and yeah. i'd be interested to hear more about um like just how you define rhythm and why why rhythm is an important concept to you when it comes to productivity and work mm. so rhythm first i suppose came into into my my vocabulary because i was struggling with the term work-life balance so to me, work-life balance just felt like it was an accounting act. It felt, to me, it felt like a set of scales that you're constantly trying to balance. So every time you spend time in one area of your life, you feel like you're neglecting another hmm. and you're having to go kind of backtrack and go, oh, God, I better you know, make up for it. So you're always playing catch-up, always playing make-up and, and, and it just never works. Unless you could stay completely still, it's always going to be unbalanced. Yeah, or unless you're like working with one hand... Uh, you know sort of typing with one hand and bottle feeding with the other hand or something like there's probably ways to have that actually balanced but like if you if you think about work-life balance regularly as a thing Mm -hmm. you're always thinking about it whilst you're doing one thing and not doing the other thing exactly Um, whereas I suppose using it more as a thing where you look at it more as a step back in hindsight Mm. looking at it a week later and say how did the week go Mm. it makes more sense as a as a concept but I think people just they feel that guilt in the moment by thinking, oh, I'm still at work again at nine o'clock in the evening when I should be at home with my family. Exactly. Yeah, coming. and especially with the kind of work I do, with those ebbs and flows, it's like, it's actually really hard to go, I'm only going to work nine to five, and then you know, from five o'clock it's, you know, it's home time or family time. And I suppose you know, my, my kids are ten and seven now, so mm. they're at school, there's a bit more of a, a steady, um, you know, steady rhythm, I suppose. But you know, when they were in those early years, so I started my business um, eight years ago, so it's like my middle child. And so in those early years, a lot of my work was you know, one day on, one day off, or half an hour here, half an hour there. And right. so it was really bitty. It was really hard to say, well, these are my working hours. These are not my working hours. And so I just found like the whole thing just felt really unbalanced. Hmm. And it felt like it, it felt like an impossible accounting act to make it balanced. And trying to make it balanced just made me feel guilty. So... Um, I started playing with the idea of rhythm. And for me, I think rhythm gives you more flexibility. It gives you more freedom. It actually gives you that permission to have really fast-paced um, times as well as slow and not trying to even it all out. Yeah. So, you know, when things are manically busy, not going, feeling guilty, going, oh, it shouldn't be so busy and it shouldn't be so crazy or I shouldn't be working so many hours or you know, whatever it is. But then, you know, on the, when things go slow and you go, oh, maybe I should speed up a bit. And you're always kind of, you know, the thing I found with balance is that you're always unsatisfied with where you're at. Yeah, completely. So for me, rhythm gives you more flex, more freedom. Which do you prefer, the fast-paced stuff or the going slow? So my natural tendency is fast. So I'm, I'm an instinctive yes girl. I like saying yes to lots of things. I like things being varied, being full on. 
but I don't know if it's age, but I'm getting to, <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to appreciate slow a right. lot more. Like, um, you know, I found that sometimes the most beautiful moments are really simple moments where I just take my time. Um, you know, things that kind of stay in my memory are things like um, sitting um, on the edge of a lake with my kids blowing bubbles. And, you know, when you think about the amount of money we would have spent on buying bubbles from a shop, it's like, it's tiny and it's the simplest thing. Yeah. But it's yeah. almost like sometimes when you slow down life, it kind of just becomes a little bit more brighter and richer and more and, you, and then you can notice those things more as yeah. well, right? Um, speaking of fast pace, I have to, well, maybe you can tell the story of when you first arrived in Brighton for your first ever meeting with the, t- <laughs> with the Think Productive uh, crew. So throw me in at the deep end. Yeah. yeah. So you, you tell the story. So I think that was the first time I'd met everybody, wasn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah. And um, we'd had a conversation like three weeks before saying, yes, let's go ahead with this. Let's recruit you as a ninja and be part of the team. So it was like you, it was brand new. Yeah. And, and you did. were coming down. We had, we had basically an away day with everybody in Brighton and, it, and you were coming quite late the night before. Yeah. Yes, that was it. Yeah. So um, at that point, I'd only met you. I hadn't met any of the other team. Um, and I think I arrived. In fact, I think I arrived before you. So I met up with some of the, some of them were already at the restaurant. And then oh, okay. so we, yeah, anyway, we, we all met up, had dinner. Um, and then I think it was Matthew who said, I have two words. Lucky voice, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, his. That's like almost like his catchphrase at these yeah. things. Two words: lucky voice. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think lead it is a normal thing of going. No, it's ten o'clock. It's my bad time. <laughs> I have to go to sleep. Um, and you know, and and the rest of us went for karaoke. So explain lucky voice to somebody who is not from the UK and has never heard of lucky voice. <laughs> okay, so imagine meeting your new work colleagues <laughs> on day one. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, so imagine meeting your work colleagues on day one and being taken into a room where there's a screen and microphones and alcohol, although I don't drink, so I don't, I don't even have the opportunity to say, let's just get drunk and, you know, and lose my inhibitions. Dutch courage, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, and, and basically you sing karaoke. Uh, and and there's also like blow up inflatable guitars and wigs okay. and I all that about stuff. That. Yeah. Um, and within like half an hour of so I felt terrible, right? Because it was like, okay, this is really. I'm sort you of thought really I was going to walk out. <laughs> pushing Grace in at the deep end here, and I remember sort of like definitely giving you a look, and probably even like actually just tapping you on the shoulder a couple of times. Are you all right? Is this is this okay? But then within like half an hour, um, you and Matthew doing. Um, the summer, summer loving Grace, <laughs> like, and everyone else just going, yeah, props to Grace. She's just arrived and like straight, so the thing, straight into it. So the thing that you guys didn't know about me at the time was that I am a singer. Yeah, so helps. I actually love yeah. karaoke, <laughs> so it does help. Yeah. So I think that's um, also slightly indicative of your um, very extrovert, very people focused um, nature, and just like how how you like to work. Like when you're in writing mode mm-hmm. and you're just, it's you in the computer and you're, you're doing the part of the job that I really love. I love it when there's no people around. <laughs> but do you start to go stir crazy as a massive extrovert, like trying to, you know, like sort of really craving the, the workshop spaces and the coaching and all that sort of thing? Yeah. So I, I tend to find that I, my best ideas come when I'm in conversation. 
So I almost need to go out and have the conversations first, get those ideas going on in my head and get to the point where I'm like, okay, now I actually need some space mm. to actually write it down and get it out. And, and the writing process for me is how I kind of make sense of the stuff in my head, but I have to get the stuff in my head first. Right. So if I just sit down and go, right, I've got to write a blog post, I've got to write an article, it doesn't come. Whereas if I've had those conversations, I'm like, okay, I can see where this is going or I want to think more about this. Yeah, I've got something to work with. Um, then I can you know, lock myself away and do that. Um, and does it tend to come, your stuff, some of your writing is very, and I love your writing, by the way. Um, some of your writing has this real kind of playfulness around words with mm. it, right? So it's like that rhythm thing we talked about before, but it's like some bit, some of the bits of your book, it's like you're sort of taking a definition of something and just flipping it or just playing around with that. And does that come initially from those conversations? So you haven't, and it's like you just stumble across a way of explaining it to somebody else and then that's how you kind of take stuff on? Yeah, sometimes. Um, so to give you an example that's just come to mind, a um, couple of days ago, I um, got a message from somebody who's a former client, um, is a bit of a productivity geek himself, and and um, he'd said, um, I've just got to the stage where like I've fallen off the inbox zero wagon, and like I know what I need to do, so I know all the techniques, but um, I've just found I've kind of fallen out of the habit. And he said, Have you come across this before in your, your experience? What's the one thing that I need to be working on? And, and that just got me thinking, and I, I, I just said to him, actually, I think, yeah, let's have a chat and we'll, we'll talk through what, where the resistance has come from for you. Um, but it got me thinking about inbox zero and how easy it can be to learn the techniques and sometimes hard to put into practice in terms of keeping it up as a habit. And as I was going through the day, um, I, um, it, was, it was my birthday at the time, so um, I, I'd given myself the day off and I'd booked myself a massage and I was going to the salon and after I came out of the salon, I was feeling all kind of floaty and relaxed and stuff and thinking, I should probably make this a more of a regular thing. Mm. And then what popped into my head was, oh yeah, the other regular thing I need to do is um, book in a leg wax because okay. I get to a point where I'm like, oh yeah, I really should have done that like last week and you know, I've got, I don't know, I'm taking the kids swimming tomorrow and actually... All the salons are closed now, so I'm going to have to go and get a DIY kit. And it hurts more when I do that myself. <laughs> so, you know, it's things like that. So I started to think about inbox zero and leg waxing. And I suddenly realised, actually, it, there are a lot of similarities. And in that, the longer you... So with waxing, the longer you leave it, the more it hurts. Partly because you're, you kind of, you don't build up that resistance. You know, so you're mm. more sensitive to your skin's more sensitive to it. But also partly because when the hair's longer... It, it just hurts more. <laughs> you know, it just does. And you know, anyone else who waxes their legs listening to this will know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, whereas I have no problem no. with that. Uh, <laughs> so I'll just, having, you know, I'll, yeah. <laughs> just have to go along with it. <laughs> but yeah, so so that's the same thing with Inbox Series. So like when we work with people in workshops, the first um yeah, the first time the first time they do it, it's always the most painful. And you know, the longer you leave it, the more painful it is to clear mm. that backlog and you know, all that kind of stuff. Whereas actually, if you do it on a regular basis, it's not painful at all. Yeah. And, you know, and also the other thing about um, you know, inbox zero and that waxing is that you feel really good afterwards. You know, that's where the, <laughs> the benefit comes in, is how you feel afterwards, not you know, during. Um, so that's just an example of, you know, the sort of how my ideas come to me. It's kind of somebody asks me a question or something comes up in a conversation. It gets me thinking 
and then usually that gets mixed up with everyday life and like kind of other scenarios and then yeah, I, yeah. I notice those links or I draw those parallels and and then I write about it the other thing you do quite well as well is you bring in like sort of weird things that your kids have said to you I think the thing with um with kids as well for me is that it just simplifies so I think what we tend to right, do yeah, when we yeah. think about things as adults is we overcomplicate stuff so when we look at you know, kids so you know one of the things um, I remember when I was looking at you know why why do I not get more sleep you know when you know as as a mum who has been sleep deprived for years like I see sleep as a real treat but I'm such a you know, I, I still find myself going to bed late. Hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and I remember thinking, hey, what is it that's stopping me from going to bed earlier? And I realised it was, it was FOMO, it was fear of missing out. Okay. And, and it was exactly the same fear that my kids have when they resist going to bed. It's the fear of missing out. It's like, <laughs> you know, and when you, can, when you can see things through the lens of simplicity of, yeah. of childhood, it just makes it so much clearer um, and, and I think that's why I, I tend to draw those parallels because it helps me to be clearer about like, oh my goodness, it's that simple. Um, and I think that's why it helps other people as well, because we can all relate to that simplicity. And that's a way of sort of working on the reactive kind of defense side of it. But it works just as well on the offense. Is like when you've got a new idea mm. and you want to try and either communicate it to someone else or explain it really well. That whole thing of like, how would you explain this to the curious, intelligent six-year-old is yeah. like the best technique, right? Like if you're in meetings and stuff, like try, trying to put things in that just very kind of simple um, analogy of like what a curious, intelligent six-year-old would, mm. would know about something is like, it's hugely powerful, I think, as a yeah. tool. Yeah, definitely, for sure. And I think, you know, I learn so much from my kids as well. So um so I think a lot of what I share is it's generally stuff that, that I've learned, stuff that's kind of occurred to me. It's like, yeah, so it, I find it, if it's helpful for me, maybe it's helpful for someone else. And that's you know, how I tend to write. Hmm. Um, I'd love to know, given that like what you do for so much of the time is help people to work out their sort of own like inner foibles and sort of weird sort of human weirdness almost <laughs> right because human weirdness is like a thing that we yeah. don't talk about enough all humans are weird and i think once you i think a big trick with productivity is like recognizing your weirdness mm -hmm. and like either going with the truth of that weirdness or knowing how to circumvent it and do something different so i'd love to know what your weirdness is like what are the things <laughs> that you get stuck on or find difficult given that i think there's you know, I mean, you're certainly one of those people who, you know, on the surface, it's like, okay, so Grace is like running a household and like bringing up two kids wonderfully. And she's also doing pantos and working in the church and all this stuff. And then, you know, you're on the road all the time. And so you, so you are kind of so multifaceted and uh, managing to juggle a whole load of stuff. So I'm wondering like, what's the weirdness for you like uh when you you're obviously very productive and get a lot done but what are the things that hold you back one of the things that hold me back um so it's funny when you were talking about weirdness um a book title came to mind which is uh everybody's normal until you get to know them mm. it's one of my favorite books um and i think you know there is something about embracing your weirdness um and and i think it goes along the same lines as your uh, my theory about strengths and weaknesses so um, actually, it wasn't my theory. It was Marianne Cantwell's theory that I quoted in my book. So I pinched it off her. But it was a theory that actually your weaknesses are just your strengths overused. 
So it's, okay. it's the same side theory. It's, it's not an opposite. It's actually the same thing. It's just along a continuum. So one of my weirdness, one of my things is um, I'm a real people pleaser. So that can sometimes seriously get in my way mm. um, because you know sometimes I take on too much. Um, I find it hard to say no um, and set those boundaries. Um, I can you know I can seriously beat myself up about letting people down or not doing enough or not being around enough. You know. so when it's used against me, um, my people pleasing tendencies can stretch me and fragment me and actually make me feel really guilty and really helpless and useless. Um, but if I use that as a strength, actually what it means in its essence is that I really care about, I really care about helping people and I really, and I do care about what people think of me. So the way I use it um, is accountability works really well for me. So mm. if I know that I really want to get something done, yeah make myself accountable to someone else, as a people pleaser, I will do it. So both books, I had external deadlines. Um, you know, I had people depending on me to deliver it. Um, I mean, the first book, I actually created a 40 Days of Baby Steps um, group where I was coaching other people through their 40 days, um, a 40 day project, while I wrote my book in 40 days. So that was the whole idea was I had this 40 day deadline to write my book. Um, and I realized that the best way to use that was to put myself in a posi position where I am almost being the role model for someone else, because then I have to do it. Right. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. like, there's no, there's no way I'm going to, um, you know, I might let myself down, but there's no way I'm going to let someone else down. It is great for productivity being a productivity author, isn't it? Because it just yeah. creates such a massive <laughs> rod for your own back. <laughs> like, like... That's how I see it. Yeah. So, th so that side of things you know, it can trip me up, but I can also use it to my advantage. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and I think that's the thing I've noticed with all of our weaknesses and all of our foibles and weirdnesses is, is actually we can use it to beat ourselves up or we can use it to, you know, help bring the best out of us. Like if we embrace it and go, well, yeah, that is a thing and that's part of who I am. And yes, yeah, sometimes it can get the better of me, but actually instead of wishing it wasn't there or wishing it was different, if I can take a hold of it and go, well, that's part of who I am, but it's up to me how I use that, then I can channel it in a direction that helps me. Mm. So, and then it goes down like the whole thing of boundaries, for example, and saying no. You know, it's something I've really struggled with um, and I hate letting people down. But actually, I've come to realise that if I say yes to everything, I am going to let everyone down because I'm not going to be able to, to fulfil anything and yeah. you know, I'm constantly being, going to be running late or under delivering or you know not quite managing to do my best because I've taken on too much um, and so for me it's you know, reframing that to when I put those boundaries in place it helps me to say yes wholeheartedly mm. and yes on my own terms and to be able to give my best to what I commit to rather than overcommit and not be able to deliver on any of those so again it's for me it's always about the reframe so reframing it so that um, my, my, I suppose, caring about what other people think helps me to give my best and helps me to put the boundaries in that helps me to do that. Yeah, that's really similar to a thing that was a big epiphany for me around saying no, mm. which was, so whenever I'm doing a book or um, actually the same thing that happened with the podcast, I will always email Seth Godin, who I'm a big fan of. And I always say, you know, will you provide a quote for the book or whatever? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and we've had some really nice uh, interactions in the past where I've kind of asked him advice for stuff and things like that. But obviously when it's like getting him to read a book and then quote, and he's like, he's pretty strict about what he says mm. no to and what he says yes to and stuff. And so I always email him kind of like my publisher for the last book was like, will you email Seth Godin and ask him to do a quote for the book? And I, so I kind of knew before I even sent the email, he's going to write back and say no, but he always responds. And the thing that I realized last time when I um, I asked him to do this, and he, he did say no, but he said no in the most beautiful way, mm. right? And it left me totally respecting him more, even though I should have been angry and annoyed that he was like shunning me and saying mm. no. But it was like, you know, congratulations on the book. And, you know, I'm, it's really great the work you're doing. And I'm really sorry, mm. not able to do this. Sorry, Seth, yeah. right? And it's like, at the end of it, you just end up just sort of respecting the heart and the humanness that's mm. gone into that, as well as the fact that he's like, he's holding firm his boundary and like, you know, sort of saying no. And so I kind of use that as like a model now, right? Yeah. And it's like, I, I sort of see it as like, if you can say no in like a really caring, compassionate and sort of beautiful way and be very, you know, just be very sort of expressive and kind of gentle with it. Mm. It's the kind of thing where actually you do have the, the ability and the capacity to actually inspire other people through that, right? <laughs> Rather than seeing that as, okay, they're always going to be pissed off on the other end. Mm. It's like seeing it as people can actually be really inspired by no, as yeah. well as as well as annoyed and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, that was a big thing for me. And it's really changed how I approach a lot of those, because I get loads of those requests that are a little bit like, this is more a favour for you than it is something that's going to be that good for me. Mm. But like... And if I'm having a a sort of more, you know, sort of thinned out couple of weeks or whatever, I'll say yes to lots of those things because I, I love, I'm a bit of a people pleaser too and I like helping people and I'm also quite open to the idea that you never quite know where things are going to go and so not to dismiss too many things out of hand. Ooh. But like, you know, if it, like I've realised that over time I need to get much I actually need to get much more disciplined around saying no to, some, yeah. to more and more of that stuff. Mm. You know? And the other thing that I... Um... Yeah, I noticed as well is I remember um, a friend of mine once I asked her for help and um, and I mean here's another thing I love giving help but mm. asking for help has been a oh, journey yeah. um, and I remember once asking a friend for help and she um, she turned around and said thank you for asking I was like why are you thanking me you know I'm asking you for a favour mm. and, and it just got me thinking and, and she was genuine it's like no thank you for asking because it gives her an opportunity to do something that helps me and that gives her a lot of joy as well. Mm. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's nice. how I feel. Yeah. Um, and so the the other side of that is if I know that I can say no, and you know, when I mean no, and say it in an encouraging and honouring way, that um, even though I can't do what somebody is asking of me, that at least I still leave them feeling better, um, then they also know that they can ask me. Yeah, so they're not going to say my nose for me. Mm. If I'm willing to say my own nose and mean it, that means that they they are free to ask, and they yeah, they don't have to presume and go oh no she she never says no so therefore I've got to figure out whether it's appropriate to ask or not and almost you know, let them say my nose for me. Um, so yeah, I've got some friends who you know, are going through a whole load of stuff at the moment and they're like oh but you're so busy all the time and I'm not quite sure I'm like. Seriously, just ask, you know, if you want to chat, text me, call me. If I'm not around, I'll tell you. Yeah. Do you feel like some of your friends are 
intimidated by your busyness, by the fact that you are so like, you know, I'm on a train here and I'm running this and I'm doing that and then I'm at the kitchen table doing my thing and then I'm taking the kids and then like you are busy the whole time. Like, yeah. I mean, I've got a funny relationship with busy. Like, I hate the word. Mm. Um, and, and I try not to use the word because I think it's, it's a bit generic and it can be a little bit of a, a thing that we hide behind. It's like, oh, yeah, everything's always so busy. Um, so, yeah, I do. I think I do share a lot in terms of like, here's where I am and here's what I'm doing. Um, but I also try and keep it real. So I think, you, yes, when I struggle with stuff as well, I'll talk about that. And I'll, I will talk about the slow days. Um, I think, yeah, some, sometimes people are like, oh, yeah, you seem to get so much done. You seem to have so much packed in. And I think I struggle between the whole, um, you know, how do you take a compliment? So mm. it's, it's almost like someone saying, hey, I like your clothes. And you're like, oh, yeah, you know, bargain basement. You bought it from a charity <laughs> shop. And, and I'm trying to learn not to do that because I think that's kind of, it kind of dismisses the person who's just giving you a compliment, right? So, yeah, yeah. so there is a part of me that kind of goes, you know, yes, that a lot of work has gone into working out how do I do this thing called life in a way that... I'm happy with and for me that is packing in a lot of stuff but also at the same time I don't want anyone else to look at that and go that's how I need my life to be so one of the experiments I've been doing is to drop the word busy to actually Mm. stop myself from using that and what do you substitute it for so that's the interesting thing because you have to start thinking well what else would I say yeah and it's different things for different contexts so sometimes you know like February and March with all the gigs you know it's a full-on week or Mm. it's a full-on month and I'll use a word full and rather than busy. Um, but sometimes it's, you know, actually, maybe I'm not busy, maybe I'm overwhelmed. You know, maybe I am unclear about what I want to do. Yeah. I'm just flitting between lots of different things. Um, you know, maybe the one I like is like, actually, I'm, t- um, what did I say the other day? Yeah, I'm too busy to think about that. And actually, it was in a positive context. It was like, I don't have time to worry about that right yeah, now. I am yeah. going to focus on this. Yeah. Um, and I think when you when you choose not to use the word busy, you end up finding a word that's more honest about your current situation. Mm. Um, and that gives you a sense of clarity. I have a similar one, which I haven't quite worked out how to use probably. But you know that whole thing of like, you should never say, if someone says, have you done this? Or have you seen this? Or have you uh, got that thing or whatever? And you're just like, I haven't had time. Yeah. And of course you have time, you just had other priorities instead, mm. right? Um, and the thing that I haven't worked out is how do I say to people, this is so far down the list <laughs> in terms of what I think is important. It's on my list, mm. but it's like, it's only on my list because someone else needs it done. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I'm not going to enjoy this. Mm. It's like there's 50 things that are of a bigger strategic priority ahead in the queue. Like... There's a, but you can't say those things without it just really dissing yeah, the other person. Sounding really bad. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. Have you got any advice for me oh, with that? What can I do? So my thing is, so it goes back to that kind of saying no or saying yes on your own terms. So mm. I always find it easier rather than to say why I haven't had time to do that. It's actually what else? What? Where am I spending my time? Yeah. So it might be I'm fully committed right now. Um. You. Know, and, and that's when I use quite a lot. And be like, okay, actually, this week I'm fully committed with workshops, with speaking, mm. with whatever it is. Um, or you know, actually, I can't give it the attention it deserves. 
and that that's one I've said a few times yeah. um, to like to projects and things like that to go do you know what that sounds great but right now this is what needs my attention you know or you know, when I'm in book mode I, I think I did a lot of that then it's like actually I've, I'm fully committed to this book I've, I've got to yeah I've got this deadline working towards or we've got loads of stuff going on right now um and that means I can't give it the, the attention it deserves attention is a really interesting thing right because I I feel like we need a whole new lexicon around how attention gets spent mm. and like the different types of attention and like I, I just kind of feel like people don't label it as attention often enough they'll obviously they'll label it as time of course mm-hmm. I talk about that loads and loads and everyone's sick of hearing me talk <laughs> about don't manage time manage attention and all that sort of thing but I think there is you know there are different sort of types of attention there are different pulls on attention and there's different and I, I think also there isn't enough of a recognition that like our attention is a depleting daily resource, right? So people don't necessarily have the uh, the sort of boundaries around that or the definition around mm. that to write a to-do list that has four things that need the fullest levels of attention possible <laughs> and a load of stuff that's kind of somewhere in the middle and then some things that mm. are really, you could sort of do half in your sleep, you know? <laughs> and I think, I think until until we get to a stage where that's sort of culturally recognised, it's actually also quite difficult to operate like that in isolation mm. within a business, right? Because you're sort of expected to have 20 things on your to-do list and yeah. juggle all those things, right? So I'm just wondering, like, what's going to be the shift that brings that about? And I also wonder whether there's, like, a big thing around uh, the the distractions that get in the way of that. Mm. And a big theme of a lot of these conversations has been just the idea of presence and the idea of a a phone getting in the way of people's presence and stuff. And I just kind of wonder whether we're going to get, there's going to be such a backlash that we're going to end up back in a state of trying, just trying to reclaim attention, Mm. like more and more. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing. Going back to the, to what we're saying about busy. I mean, busy is a feeling um, rather than an outcome. So it's, it's not, you know, I always say business is not the same as pro- you know being productive because productivity is about how you spend your time and it's also about what you get at the end of it. Mm. Whereas busyness is just that feeling of kind of constant, it's constant movement. Yeah. And I think the same thing happens with attention. You know, um, people mistake attention for that constant sense of pinging or, you know, I'm constantly occupied. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm paying attention to it. It just means there's something constantly pinging me, um, but I'm not actually fully focused. And I think there is something about when you get to the end of the day, you can't remember what you've done. And it's fragmented, uh, fragmented yeah, exactly. attention. And yeah. the idea that like, I mean, you could have, if you have a day which is just fragmented attention, then your output, like sort of, you know, output ratio to attention ratio is just like screwed whereas even if people have one hour in the day which is totally concentrated Mm. attention that completely skews that whole ratio right so it doesn't take a lot to really change that and I think once you start to once you start to see that then it for me you really get into one of the most important tactics around productivity which is 
sort of, you know, recognizing how to manage attention and how to protect attention mm. and how to apply it to different things. And yeah. like, it just, I think is just a very, very powerful tool. Mm. And I think, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see that change in conversation. So if we have a conversation about, I don't have enough time, there's no way we can go with that because we can't create more time. Mm. But if you have a conversation about, actually, what can I do to change my experience of time? There's a lot. So, um, you know, when you start talking about how do I, you know, how do I focus my attention? How do I get the same amount of work done in one hour because I focus my attention, which actually frees up the rest of the day, frees yeah. up a whole load of time to do all the stuff I tell myself I don't have time for, compared to, you know, if I'm constantly fragmented and I, you know, it takes me a long, longer to do stuff. So, in a way, if we change that conversation to pay attention to our attention, um, that, in effect, will give us more time. So back to Grace Marshall in a few moments. Just a couple of things just in terms of what I've been up to and what I'm doing. So um, since I last released Beyond Busy two weeks ago, I've done five different client events. So keynote things and slightly longer workshops and stuff, uh, which is quite unusual for me. These days I'm uh, pretty much out of the day-to-day running of of the Think Productive business or Think Productive workshops. But then I do get quite a few requests where it's like, you know, clients want to uh, bring me in to do keynotes for big events. And particularly if it's kind of leading off stuff that then some of the other productivity ninjas like Grace and others will, will then sort of kick in and do a whole range of different workshops and do a lot more stuff that I just don't have the time to do. Uh, so um, so that's been, um, you know, a pretty in- intense period for me, just being on my feet over the last couple of weeks. Managed to combine uh, a visit to Microsoft Campus on Tuesday where I was doing a talk for uh, for their team uh, with uh, Reading against Aston Villa on the Tuesday evening. This is my first away Villa game of the season and Villa's first win for well over 400 days. It was, um, it was pretty incredible. Uh, the atmosphere was amazing and props to the four odd thousand uh, Villa away supporters who made the trip down to Reading on a very cold Tuesday night. Uh, obviously for me it's not that far like Reading to Brighton, uh, it's not too far to drive uh, but obviously for a lot of those Villa fans they're going uh, from Birmingham up, up to Newcastle and down to Southampton and all these all these places for you know well over uh, you know well over a year since we last won a game and really for the last two or three years it's been a pretty thankless task following Villa anyway but particularly when it's you know away from home and stuff as well um, so just reward for those fans on Tuesday night and the atmosphere as you can imagine was jubilant and incredible and uh, yeah just a lot of fun to be a part of uh, and also um, I've been following as you will know if you follow my Twitter the Toronto's Toronto Blue Jays baseball team and uh, yeah that's been that's really caused me a lot of a lot of um sleep deprivation over the last uh, three or four weeks because it's got to quite a crucial period in the season and uh, sadly they got knocked out last week and I was gutted absolutely gutted that they're not going to make the world series and also slightly relieved that like I've got a lot of work to do over the next couple of weeks and it's quite good to to not have um the distraction necessarily of uh, having to stay up into the wee small hours to watch Toronto Blue Jays. So, uh, so it's been quite a busy time. I'm also just gearing up. I've got one more week in the office really until I um, head out to Australia and New Zealand. So by the time the next episode goes out, uh, you will be uh, listening to the next episode whilst I'm in Australia and New Zealand, uh, hoping to do a couple of podcast interviews while I'm there as well. Uh, always nice to get some some different perspectives from different parts of the world and different accents on the show and all that. And um, the final thing to say is I've done quite a few 
really interesting interviews over the last few weeks that will be going out as episodes kind of three to, to seven or so uh, of this series, including the next couple. So the next one is going to be Simon Woodruff, founder of Yo Sushi, uh, one of the original dragons from Dragon's Den, and a uh, really great conversation with him, which will go out in two weeks' time. Uh, and then the uh, inimitable Mr. Gerald Ratner. Uh, what an interview that was. Really uh, fantastic. So a couple of those uh, just to look forward to as the next episodes. Uh, and in the meantime, back to Grace. So as I said at the beginning, uh, this is the first one I've ever done with wine. So you can uh, email me at the end and tell me if you think that makes a difference positively or negatively. And uh, for now, uh, let's get back to my conversation with Grace Marshall. <laughs> We had this really funny uh, moment in the office the other week, which was uh, uh, we, so some of the clocks had changed around the world, and I don't think the UK had changed yet. And like we've got all these clocks above the the sort of wall of the office, which is like all the different mm-hmm. countries where Think Productive has offices and all the different time zones and stuff. And I was saying, oh, you know, the uh, the UK clock's wrong. Why has no one changed that? It's like been changed for like a week or something like that. And uh, Cara uh, in our office sort of looked at me and was like, well, time doesn't really matter. I mean, it's all relative anyway. <laughs> Looking up at these, like, Sydney is 8 o'clock and New York is whatever. Yeah. And uh, it was such a funny moment because it was, like, in, in equal measures, completely absurd and also <laughs> totally spot on and true <laughs> because, you know, and everything we really, you know, teach around mm. thinking about attention and your experience of, of time rather than rather than working with time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was quite a, quite a beautiful moment. I think it was um, was it Gay Hendricks who talked about Einstein time, so rather than Newtonian time. So Newton time is like time is um, finite, so it's measured in minutes and seconds and hours. Right. Whereas Einstein time is time is relative. So, for example, um, you know, an hour with um, an hour doing something you love or an hour with mm. your beloveds feels like seconds, whereas a minute on a hot stove is going to feel like a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, I remember um, somebody saying, um, I think I, I quoted it as, as an example in my book, um, it was somebody talking about um, a change in job and a change in that kind of um, one thing that she'd put into place in terms of her time um, and her schedule is that you know, she works particular hours, but she takes, I think it was like half an hour for lunch. And in that half an hour, she doesn't do anything other than have her lunch and have her break. So she doesn't work. She doesn't look at her phone. She doesn't look at her emails. And she's saying, it's half an hour, but it's my bliss. Mm. And because it's my bliss, it feels like two hours. Yeah. And so that's the difference between measuring time by minutes and measuring it by moments. And it's so difficult to do that when you feel like it's in the middle of a busy day or a busy, mm. busy week is to, is to file all that, that time. Um, I got told a story a while back about Delia Smith, the cook, right? <laughs> and she has this like tree house in her garden and every day will, without fail, spend, I think it's an hour, but it's basically her with a notebook mm. and a pen. And I think she might take a book in there, but it's like her quiet time, right? And she, every single day, even when there's like the film crew out of her house and they're recording a TV series and all that, she's like, okay, so I'm going off now and I'm going to go and do my thing. And I just thought, wow, like that is for someone who must have so many pressures as well as her career. She's also the uh, chairman of Norwich city football club. So she's obviously got the demands of that and the phone going and the emails and everything else. And just to go, right. So every single day I'm going to make that my practice. Mm. I think that's so powerful. Yeah. 
And I know it's something that I struggle with. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'll be times where I, I feel like I go in real ebbs and flows with it. Like sometimes I'm really good at like starting the day with a run and meditating in the morning. Mm-hmm. That's why I hate. Do you have the same thing? Which when you do like podcast interviews and Skype interviews and stuff, people always ask you about your morning routine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it fucks me <laughs> off. It's like the worst question. It's, it's my second worst question. The worst question for me is, what are your top tips for productivity? Oh yeah, like yeah. And now that you, we've now that we've talked about all of your content, please summarize that in yeah. three bullet points. Exactly. Like, yeah. What's the one yeah. thing that you would tell people to do? I'm like, well, it depends on what your one problem is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's the what's the thing you actually talk about? Yeah. But um, the thing about that whole morning routines thing is, I feel like so many people answer that in such a sort of fetishized way mm. uh the epitome of it for me i think was um watching this thing thing tim ferris who i really like some of his writing but he did this like half an hour tv show thing and it was like let's do a day in the life of tim ferris mm. and so it starts with him look at me i'm meditating in the morning and then it's like <laughs> Look at me, like, grinding up loads of nuts and fruit into a thing, right? Like, all that stuff. And I find so many of the answers to that really obnoxious because I feel like there's no way you spend the best part of two hours doing yoga and doing mm. this and doing every day. Like, there's just, there's no way that really exists. And I think, and I, I, I think it must be so dispiriting for people listening to that sort of advice yeah. and feeling like, okay, that's how much I have to input to that to sort of chase this image of perfect and yeah exactly and i think that's the thing that riles me it's it it's the feeling that like if i don't do that i'm never going to be as good as them mm. it's that kind of yeah it's that feeling and and i think any advice actually life advice not just productivity advice any advice that makes you feel you know, worse or feel like you, you you're incompetent yeah i would question the validity of that and i would question the you know, it, effectiveness of that because actually it is about helping people to be better than what they are now and um you know for someone and I've been there for someone who maybe has children who wake up at like five in the morning and when you actually celebrate when the wake up time starts with a six there is no way absolutely no way I'm going to get up an hour early or two hours early to meditate because right. if I get yeah. up my children are going to get up <laughs> you know and there's going to be no meditation whatsoever and you know and I think it's great for people when that works and I think it is inspiring for some people you know for some people it does take that kind of level of almost extreme challenge it's like okay now that's become interesting I'm going to go do it mm. whereas before when you were just talking about kind of you know simple things and you know it actually didn't some people thrive on that challenge so actually telling them to get up at 4am and you know, do all this stuff before you know going to work they revel in that and that might work for them but it won't work for yeah. everyone and also it's the the fetishization of that it becomes just the what and not the how and yeah. and also not the why either. and not the why yeah so i mean my thing with like morning routines is the only thing that i have around morning routines that i think is in any way worth sharing because <laughs> it's just like come on uh, is the idea that I just put my running shoes next to my bed because mm. it just makes it easy for me to flop my legs out of bed and it's like oh there are the running shoes I might as well uh, yeah and so it almost becomes more difficult not to do it mm. that way um and if I could sleep in my running shoes in my tracksuit I would like believe me I would, <laughs> I would totally do that but just you know that for me is 
something that I've noticed mm. sort of intuitively just changes the way my brain thinks in that lazy scatterbrain kind of moment of like, okay, now my running shoes are half on, I might as well go for a run. Mm. And it kind of works. And I think that's what people need, not like the whole... Yeah. Give me, paint a picture of the most like perfect day which no one will ever achieve and that everyone will feel terrible about for the rest of the day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, the times when I have gotten up early and, and, and kind of hit the ground running and all that kind of stuff are, you know, if my friend Freya is meeting me for a run at 7am because that's the only time we can go for a run before we go and come back and do the school run and we've got other people looking after children and what have you. So yeah, it's like... The, for a period of time that worked for us the 7am right. worked yeah. and because I know she's going to be knocking on my door that gets me out and the how there is the accountability right? Exactly. so it's back to your people pleasing it's back thing. to accountability yeah. and, and I mean the same thing holds true when people talk about actually getting in the office an hour earlier than everyone else that's their most productive but that's only because there's no distractions so you can create <laughs> this same hour in the middle of the day at sociable hours just by taking yourself off to a different place so it's understanding the mechanism and then applying it to yeah. how you want to. I mean, the other, the only other kind of useful morning tip I would say is as a non-morning person who you know, is really groggy in the mornings, decide what you're going to wear the day before like, yeah. you know, and put it out, because, especially in the winter, because um, if you can't see what you're wearing getting dressed, it's actually quite dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you end up going out going, huh, that just doesn't work or end up you know, having your top inside out or what have you. But what I tend to do is, you know, if I know I've got to get up super early in the morning, because I know I don't wake up well, having made the decision the day before means that I can still get up and get dressed and be properly dressed and out the door and catch my train or whatever. Um, but aside from that, um, I'm very open that I'm not a money person. <laughs> so let's talk about um, confessions of productivity authors and productivity ninjas. <laughs> so we're talking about, so I'm not much of a morning person either. And that's partly why I hate that question. But I just hate I just hate the sort of perfectionism myth of it. Uh, but like, what are the what are the things that you do that you think you do really badly around productivity <laughs> and just generally? I still check my phone far too much. Mm. Yeah, and I know it's addictive, and it's a bit like junk food. Like the more you eat it, the more you crave it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so sometimes, sometimes I'll go on a bit of a detox, but. No, I still check my phone top far too much. I have the same thing with phones, I have to say. Uh, and I did this thing of kicking myself off Facebook by giving yeah. the password of Facebook to my wife and getting her to change it so that I couldn't get in. Uh, that works really well. Um, and I definitely just felt loads better having done that with Facebook. Mm. I'm finding the rest of the online world, like Twitter and you know, even e email on my phone, much easier to resist, actually. Like, I think Facebook for me feels so much more sticky and it's like, it calls you back so much more. And it also for a long time became my source of news. Mm. The other thing that I uh, found was a real hindrance to me in terms of productivity was just news in general. So I would have, I would listen to a lot of Radio 4 and Radio 5. So I'd have talk kind of radio on in the background a lot and it's like how I sort of you know particularly in the morning how you sort of reconnect with the world is through that sort of external narrative sort of stuff and I realized you know sort of about a year ago that it's like I was really uncomfortable with silence like I really needed that mm. chatter in the background and it had coincided with a period of me not meditating at all and not really being as present in what I was doing 
And I, again, I, I find similar to your thing about the junk food and the more you use it, the more you crave it. I, I find there's no substitute for me than just utter cold turkey. Like I have, mm. once I recognize the thing like that is a weakness, then it's like, so now I don't think I've listened to like more than a couple of minutes of Radio 5 or Radio 4, apart from when I was like gardening the other day and it was like, it was, I just wanted it on the outside. But I haven't listened to more than a couple of minutes of that for months and months, probably even a year. And it was just, I had to make just a radical change. And it sort of coincided with uh, getting off Facebook as well, which basically has meant that I don't read or listen to or engage with news. And news was like something that was always making me utterly miserable and annoyed and angry (laughs) with particularly politics uh, in the the last (laughs) couple of years. Obviously, any football news is just just so depressing at the moment and has been for about five years. <laughs> um, and But also just the general kind of gist of news is like, here's something to be scared about. Here's something to be worried about. Like mm. it, news feeds on, on people's paranoia, right? Mm. And so I was finding that more and more my own mind was becoming sort of paranoid and scared and whatever in the day to day. And like I was taking that sort of mindset to my desk Mm. first thing in the day. And I work a lot from home. So it's like five, five minutes ago, I was making a cup of tea, listening to radio four with this paranoid thing about terrorism. And now I'm sat at my desk trying to do something creative. And it's like, yeah, you're still thinking about the terrorism thing. Right. And it's like, it's just there (laughs) in your head. So I, so that has been something, you know, if I look back on it, I could and should have cut that out a lot sooner. Mm. And it was something that has, you know, probably stolen many hours of of attention coming back to that whole thing of not being fragmented and being totally zen-like and focused on what you're doing. So again, for me, it's like a lot of those things are distractions, but then once I recognize them and once I really see it for what it is, then I'm I'm pretty good at sort of being quick to pounce on it or... Slow to pounce, but pouncing hard on it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Your turn. <laughs> <laughs> My turn. Um, so I find when I... One of the things probably why I like the fast-paced stuff is because it gives me absolute clarity on what I need to be working on next. Mm. So that whole thing of like, I've got a gig tomorrow that I need to prepare for. Yeah. Today is when yeah. I prepare for it. Um, so it, when when I look in the diary and I can see hard deadlines and commitments that I need to work towards and you know, there is no wriggle room in that, then I can, I, that's when I'm at my most focused and I can pull it out of the bag and yeah. I get an adrenaline rush out of it as well. So that, you know, that kind of helps. Sometimes, like, so the, recently I've had more quiet weeks and, you know, there are days when I know my, I've just been all over the place um, because I've given myself too much choice Mm. so yeah there are so many different things I could be working on I'll do a bit of this I'll do a bit of that and you know and I get to the end of the day going oh I'm really frustrated with feeling like I've just been fragmented and you know and it's all the usual stuff that's gotten in the way so it's not I don't know it's just that I've allowed that to happen because I've almost kind of let my foot off the gas bit and I don't have that deadline so I've gone oh yeah just it's almost like when um I don't know when you've hit a deadline, uh, hit a goal with health or fitness, and you go, oh, "I'll just let myself go for a bit." Right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I always kick myself when I do that because it feels crap. 
You know, yeah. you think, oh yeah, I'll just indulge, and and that's what it is. It's I'll just indulge in a bit of you know multitasking, a bit of procrastination, a bit of you know flitting between different stuff and taking my time, and and you know, and and then at the end of the day, I go that does not feel like an indulgence, mm. you know, and yeah, you know, that just feels like I've wasted time. And I'm not happy with how I've spent it. I have a similar thing to what you're just saying there, just about pulling things out of the bag at the last minute. Like, I'm going to get some coaching and help with this, right? Because this is like <laughs> a big thing. For me. I physically cannot write slides for a bespoke new workshop or talk <laughs> until I'm like in the venue it's going to take place, right? <laughs> like, not even on on the train the night before or or, the, yeah. well the night before often it is the night before because it's often like i'm going to a hotel okay. and i'm staying overnight i and i put it in the diary and i like and i but i sort of know as well that i could put it in the say the things on the friday i could put it in the diary on the monday block out the whole monday go write slides for this talk for this client or whatever and i know that rationally and logically that's what i should do and i should spend tuesday and wednesday mulling that over and maybe rehearsing it and all the rest of it. I just can't do it. Like I just get to Monday and I stare at the screen. I do nothing and mm. whatever. And I've almost got to the point now where it's like, okay, well I could, I, I have the choice to either schedule that and just do it loads in advance or whatever and, and whatever. Or I could just schedule something else there knowing that I'll, I'll write those slides last minute. And that's kind of where I tend yeah. to go now because yeah. it's almost like, why bother kidding yourself mm. that you're not going to do it. But I know that it's like, it would a, it would make the talks better, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But B, it would really avoid the sort of lizard brain roller coaster that I then go through. Because that's the thing is like, I'll get to the, the night before and I'll be, I'll be frantically writing the slides. And by that stage, it's what you were saying before of I'm in the zone. Mm. I know for certain I'm doing the thing that I should be doing right now because this is yeah. going to really blow up in my face if I exactly. don't get this done tonight before I go to sleep. And often what then happens is I you know, it gets to like 11 at night in the hotel and it's still not finished. And I'm like, my brain is so zonked right now. I have to just get up early the next day. And so then I'll get up at like five and between five and seven, it will all click into place. And then I'll go on stage at like 10 and deliver it. But then the thing that was, uh, I always feel like is going to give that away other than obviously putting it on a podcast and like, let everyone listen to it. but the other thing I always think is going to give it away is when I'm very insistent at the gig that, I'm going to use the slides on my own laptop and use my laptop as a monitor. Mm. And I'm only doing that so I can see what the next slide is because I have terrible memory <laughs> and I obviously haven't rehearsed it time and time yeah. again because I just wrote it this morning. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and that is like, I mean, I think, you know, it's one of those things that you could look at on some level and say, okay, so you're pulling it out of the bag. They always, you know, get good feedback and go mm. well and, whatever and I always have the text the night before to Chaz saying like I can't do this anymore this is too hard and then I always have the text afterwards going yeah it went really well actually it was fine (laughs) but I do feel like it's just a massive like if I'm going to do more speaking I really have to change that like it's just a huge weakness Mm. and I just don't know where to start with it I just really I've tried it so many times and I really feel like and with everything else it's like I can break it down into what the actions need to be. Mm-hmm. I can project manage it. Like I can review it. I can do all that, that stuff that's in my book and stuff that I know works. Mm. And I can do that with everything else. But with, when it comes to that speaking stuff, I just cannot, I can't break out of that cycle at all. <laughs> it's messy. It's yeah. really messy. 
And um, I think the uh, the the main culprit of that is the whole it's lizard brain denial. Mm. Like it's the lizard brain part of my brain just doesn't want want to even engage with the idea that I'm doing a talk. Yeah. It's like I'm hiding under a rock. And that's I think that's the thing. I think that's what I've got to really mm. overcome around it. But like it's yeah, yeah it's a massive problem. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it is. It's there's something that switches in in your you talk about the lizard brain. Something that switches between the okay, I've got this really important talk to do. Oh my goodness, what am I going to say? Yeah, well, the, the whole like, what do I have to say, and how is this going to be good, and who am I anyway, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And then it gets to a point where almost the panic of the deadline yeah, becomes yeah. greater than the panic yeah, yeah, yeah. of you know lizard brain. And that's why it's, I can start it in the hotel because it's like the people are down that corridor who are going to be listening mm. to this, and that suddenly my lizard brain goes. Oh well, I better make this good then. Okay, yeah. like as opposed to, I'm I don't know who these people are. They're faceless. I'm never going to see them or whatever. Like you yeah. can, so you can avoid it more when you're away from it. And I think it's almost like for me, it's almost I get to a point where I go, okay, I don't have time to worry about whether it's good or not. I just ha- need to have something to say now. Yeah, that's tr- that's true as well, isn't it? The perfectionism goes. Yeah, so yeah. you lower the stakes yeah. and it becomes easier. So the same thing happens with my nerves to the interview. Like I'm thinking beforehand, what am I going to say? Yeah, I'm looking at the you know, the questions that you sent me beforehand. Going, I can't think of an answer to that, and you know, and I'm overthinking it. Yeah. Um, whereas I have never had an interview where I've not been able to say anything. Like I know that every time I turn up, I can talk. <laughs> like you just like I can talk. I really can. And every time I've done like a new talk or a new workshop where I've gone and going, Oh, have I got enough to fill the time? I always come out going, Yeah, I could have talked for another five hours. <laughs> um but it's still yeah, so it's I know that there's stuff that will come out mm. as long as I put myself on the spot and put myself in a position where I'm not having to think about should I let that stuff come out or not and just talk. Um, so I suppose if you can find a, a way of, of flipping that switch earlier. Well, that's the holy grail, though, isn't it? Yeah. That's the that's the sort of. I think there's um, that book, The Chimp Paradox. Mm. I think is really interesting. Um, Steve Peters. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes because I think it's very very similar psychology to the idea of the lizard brain. Mm. But I think there's a little bit more to it in terms of some of the techniques around you either have to wear the chimp out or you have to put it in a box. Yeah. And there's like there's some really clever stuff going on in there, which, again, it's all basically managing the amygdala, managing the fight or flight and yeah. and that sort of self-psychology stuff. And if you're going to read uh, The Chimp Paradox, what I would do is read the first half of that book. Don't bother with reading the second half. Just go back and read the first half again. Because <laughs> did you find that? Like, if, Have you read it, right? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I found like the second half of it really disappointing and not getting into where I thought it was going to mm. go. And it got into all these moons and planets and all this. And I, I actually can't I remember like, the second half. So that, yeah, yeah. That might be the but the first half is so powerful mm. and brilliant. And yeah. it's for me... Actually, what I really want in the second half that I didn't get is the first. So the first half is like, here is how your brain is weird, and here is how to how to how to uh, deal with and manage that chimp in lots mm. of different ways, and and kind of the chimp inside your brain, and all of that. And what I thought he was going to do in the second half of the book is basically go, and here is how I used that idea and how I used that psychology to really optimise performance for these sports stars. So this guy, Steve Peters, he's, you know, coached the Great Great Britain Olympic cycling team that was so successful mm-hmm. over many years. 
and has been called in to work with the England football team and all these different people. And, you know, he's just a very, very well-renowned sports psychologist and very, very successful. And I kind of wanted him to get a bit more into, okay, so when Victoria Pendleton was in a real mess three months before the Olympics, this is how I used this chimp brain stuff to really get her to a point of real focus and kind of ridiculous focus into the right areas and stuff. And it just didn't really, it sort of went on to just lots of other ideas of his Mm. that didn't really, I don't know, it just didn't, it didn't quite fulfill what I thought it was going to do. But the first half of that book is phenomenal. Mm. So yeah, Yeah. definitely one to (laughs) to check out if you're listening to this and you haven't read um, The Chimp Paradox. And I'd say, um, I mean, I I really like the idea of it. So I I took that um, as mind monkeys. Mm. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And to me, it, it kind of just makes me smile because sometimes it doesn't feel like there's just one chimp in there. There is a horde of monkeys. Um, and, you know, and I, I, you know, the one thing I, I remember taking from that is like, don't fight your mind monkeys. You know, mm. the, the, your, the, your chimp, your mind monkey, your lisbon, whatever, the, it is strong. Like it's that primitive strength, isn't it? So like if you try and fight your way through procrastination or, or whatever it is, it's just it's a hard battle yeah. and you come out bloody and bruised and you know, whereas actually if you so again this is where the, the kids thing comes in you, you look for ways of if you're so if you're dealing with um a toddler tantrum like you don't tackle it head on it's just you know, a battle of wills is not going to work out well for you oh really yeah, uh, that's no. why i'm going wrong yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> battle was just like no don't get it you find ways around it yeah. so you distraction techniques work really well. You know, you look for ways of reframing it. Um, you look for ways of turning it into a game, like playing or lowering the stakes. So that's not no big deal. You know, and um, yeah, I find that that helps. You know, when yeah, when I can do that, that helps to calm my mind monkeys down, or I can tiptoe around them. So I'm not writing a book right now. I'm just gonna you know write three ways to say no. You know, I'm not gonna start on that talk right now. I'm just gonna, you know, jot down some notes from the conversation I had with the person who booked me. Mm. You know, I'm just gonna do a little mind map. I'm, you know, I'm just gonna do a small, you know, baby steps. Um, and it almost has an effect of tiptoeing around your lizard brain and your mind monkey, um, and tricking yourself into doing a little bit. And almost tricking your way into kind of, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, and there's this, and there's that. And then you start to kind of build it together. And then it's only when you look back, you go, oh, I've just written a talk. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I suppose that's, you know, when you asked me earlier about kind of examples of when I've kind of had light bulb moments from stuff with kids. Um, I remember my um, my son getting really wound up once when he was doing his homework. Um, and he's, poor boy, he's, he's inherited my perfectionist streak. <laughs> Um, and he was getting really wound up about um, uh, writing. I think it was handwriting or something like that. And he was like, "I can't get it right. It's not. You know, it looks rubbish. It's not. You know, it's not perfect." Um, and it kind of went down that spiral of, "I can't get it right. It's rubbish. I'm rubbish. You know, all that kind of stuff." Um, and and we we talked a little bit around that. And and then it was like, okay, we just have to get this take right out of the equation. So it's not about getting it right. Yeah, that's again right is is too high the stakes mm. are too high let's lower the stakes um and that's where i came up with um i wrote like seven ways seven alternatives to being right mm. um and that resonated with me because i was writing the book at the time and t- in terms of like 
having telling myself I have to be the expert. I you know again going back to that perfection myth. I have to be perfect. I have to get things here. You know, I have to have all the right answers. To okay, so if I'm not going to be the expert, what can I be? You know, I could be a curator. I could mm. be someone who collects wisdom from different people and brings it together. I could I could play the fool. You know, the fool is um, the the person in court who could always speak the truth because you know, because of their role because they weren't the expert. Yeah, so I could talk about it from a complete non-expert's point of view. Yeah. And you know, and actually when you start looking at alternative ways of doing the same thing, but lowering the stakes, all of a sudden you get your mind monkeys go, oh, okay then, nothing to see here, move along. <laughs> right, yeah, and I think there's always, if ever you're stuck, a really good technique in pretty much anything is, okay, what's my truth? Like, look for the mm. truth. And I think often, you know, for me, when it comes to writing and stuff, like if I'm... You know, the classic thing of the times I've spent the most time procrastinating when I should be writing a chapter of a book is when the chapter of the book is about procrastination or it's about <laughs> that, it's about something to do with that sort of topic. Mm. So, you know, using that in the book and saying, for example, right now mm. I am saying yeah. procrastinating. Exactly. And, and I wonder how much of our resistance, our procrastination, all that kind of stuff, how much of that stems from the belief that we have to be something different to who we are. Mm. So you Utterly, know, yeah. yeah. Like when I was procrastinating about writing the book, it's like I was telling myself that I have to be this particular kind of expert in order to write a productivity book. When you're you know, procrastinating about your talk, you're telling yourself it has to be this particular type of talk. You have to be a particular type of speaker. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, and that's what's causing the resistance. Yeah. There's a talk that Merlin Mann did years ago. Uh, I can't remember the name of the talk, but the I, he sort of started the talk off with sort of saying, like, I don't really know what, I'm get, what <laughs> I was going to be talking about. And then he was like, and then I made some slides in the car park this afternoon. Here they are. <laughs> and basically all the slides were like, he got index cards and sort of handwritten them Ooh. and then took photos of those and made those the slides. I would love it. But everyone was like, yeah, like that's so honest Ooh. and true because... We know that we've all been in that position where we write the slides yeah. the night before or the morning of it or whatever. Yeah. And the idea that it's like someone's willing to just go, well, that's the truth right now. Let's mm. put that on the stage. And yeah. I think it's courageous and uh, it's risky mm. for sure. But yeah. like, I think people generally appreciate you getting to truth as quickly as yeah, possible. Yeah, definitely. And I think also, you know, that and you're going back to anti-perfection, I think I'm coming to accept that, you know, each piece of work I do is an iteration. Um, so I'm not going to get to that perfect talk or that perfect book in one step. Mm. I'm going to have to do it talk by talk, step by step, conversation by conversation. So, um, you know, and, and even now, like the, the coach that I am now is a, is a consequence of all the coaching conversations I've had. Right. You know, I could not have jumped from, you know, not to 100. I couldn't, I couldn't become the coach I'm now, I am now without having had those other conversations. And I think it's the same with talk. So, so for example, I can, I can talk about how to be a productivity ninja standing on my head because mm. I've done it so many times now. Um, but yeah, the one thing I've been struggling with um, since, since launching the book is like, what about my own talk? What about the yeah, how to be really productive talk yeah. you know, when I'm talking about my book? Um, yeah, and I think I remember saying to you a few times, like, how ironic it is that I can do your talk better than I can do my talk, right? Um, but yeah, I've just come to a point where I, so I did, I did a talk for, for my own book um, last week 
I think it was last week, yeah, um, on a Wednesday night, and actually I had put all the slides together, and they were beautiful, and I turned up and there was no projector. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. So I was like, okay. Um, and you know, and it went, yeah, the talk went well, and I came away going, okay, so there's a bit I want to refine there, there's a bit I want to do there, and that doesn't mean I did a bad talk. The talk was great, and everyone was happy with it. It just means that I've taken that step that allows me then to take the next step. Mm. And I think I'm as much as I'd love to go, I want to get to the end now because I'm impatient and that's what I'm like. I'm getting to the point where I'm accepting that I can't get to that without having taken the steps before. And also no one like in that moment needs you to be over there at the end. That's the other thing is like people are really loving the version of you that existed on that day. And if they see you again in a year and they see that that's grown and improved and whatever, then cool. Mm. But like people are not like judging you against that version of perfection because only you know that but your book uh, I should say is called how to be really productive Um, the subtitle of the book is achieving clarity and getting results in a world where work never ends so just before you finish I'd love to just dive into that concept of the world where work never ends Mm -hmm. and like what does that mean for you and I guess What's linked to that is uh, how do you switch off mm-hmm. and how do you put some boundaries around the fact that that work never ends? So I think for me, the fact that the work never ends means that productivity, at least to me, isn't about getting to the end of the work. It's not about getting everything done. Um, because if we focus on trying to get everything done and we never get to the end of that, it becomes, again, that holy grail that you never attain and it becomes something that's just demoralising, demotivating and crap, basically. Um, So I think for me, uh, accepting that the work never ends means that the goal isn't to get to the end of the work and it's up to us to put in our own finish lines. So it's up to us to go, okay, I'm done for the day. This is me done, this is the talk done for now or Mm. this is me done for the day. This is where I'm going to put that finish line and allow myself to breathe and rest and pause. And when um, you say finish lines, do you is, is, is that about just measuring like a day or a morning or is that more about measuring like project by project? Like what, how, how do you define finish both. line? It's both. I think it's, it's, it's how you define done, job done and how, how you give yourself that permission to feel that job done feeling. Mm. Because if... If you never give yourself permission to feel that until all the work is done, you go through your whole of your life feeling like you're never done because the work never ends. So for me, it's it's permission to go, right, I can down tools. I can feel satisfied about what I've just done. So it might be a project that's done. It might be a piece of work that's good enough where you go hit publish and send it out and ship it. Um, it might you, be... Do you feel like you're quite good at, at shipping and about being... Uh, like about sort of constantly having that sort of lens of looking at it through like okay what is the finishing line here and how like how do I define the finishing line here because I think a lot of people do struggle with that I think Mm. it's a difficult thing it is difficult Um, and I think that's where I tend to use accountability to help me define that kind of force my hand a little bit so um, I know that the temptation to tweak something if I had the you know had the extra time or the wriggle room I would do it. I would carry on tweaking. I would spend far too much time perfecting it. So I tend to put those deadlines into for me to get, okay, do you know what? That is as good as it's going to get right now. Ship it. 
So I think we were chatting just before we started recording about my book and there are loads of things that I would change about it. Mm-hmm. There are loads of things I would, you know, improve on and build on and grow from. Um, and, you know, maybe that's something I take forwards. Um, but you know, if I had have tried to incorporate all those things, that book could still be in draft form. And so, you know... It, well, it would just never be a book. Yeah, no. I mean, that's the, the bottom line with those things. Yeah, exactly. So... I think you know, quite often the deadline does help us to go, well, that's good enough. That's going to have to be good enough. So mm. let's just release that into the world. Same thing happens um, with my blog. So um, I have a Monday Momentum newsletter that goes out to everyone who subscribes um, on my website. And that means that every Monday I have to send them something. And sometimes it's you know, a thought. Sometimes it's a link to something I've done, like an interview I've done or something like that. But quite often it's a blog post. And giving myself that deadline to say I have to write and send out a blog post every week means that some weeks I send something out and go, oh, I really don't know if this is any good or not. But really? Yeah, I do. Because you're, honestly, your Monday Momentum thing always feels like there's been a lot of thought gone into it. Like, so, <laughs> I'll, so I'll tell you what it looks like from the other side of that, which is I always feel like, oh, Grace is so much better at this sort of <laughs> marketing thing than I am. Like, And the fact that you, it always looks like, you've spent some time on it, you've got nice links in there, like you've curated it well, like it always looks like a very professional looking thing. Mm. That's that's how it comes across <laughs> to me. So you're saying some of that, sometimes that's like a last minute kind yeah. of, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'll, hopefully they'll be happy with that sort yeah, of thing. Absolutely. Sometimes yeah. it's, yeah, yeah, quite often it, it is actually. And, and it's got to the point where it's like, uh, do you know what, I've got to send something out. Oh, I don't know if this is any good. This is what I've been thinking this week. And and because yeah, the other thing that's never worked for me is that whole scheduling content. Like, yeah, you know, so January is going to be about meditation. You know. mm. February is going to be, I've never been able to do that. I've never been able to write to order. It's, I've found that for me, writing has always got to be what's on my mind. Yeah, you're very on the fly with, I was thinking about this today yeah, and that's, that's kind it. of your style, right? Um, yeah. And so some weeks I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I think. <laughs> so when you've just done a week of like doing four, getting your inbox to zeros and two stress less achieve more than yeah. like, basically you've just been doing client work. You've been talking about the same stuff every day. So does that like, does that make it more difficult for you to find new inspiration when you're delivering the same workshops over and over and over again like that sometimes yeah sometimes it does so you know that's yeah that's another thing with that I'm working on with my work life uh, life rhythm is kind of that rhythm between um delivering and you know and getting the word out there on stuff I already know compared to finding out stuff that I don't know yet Mm. and you know and that whole like continuing the conversation yeah um you know continuing to broaden you know my knowledge and and to share that um and i mean sometimes it's great when you know sometimes i'll do the same workshop but somebody asks me a question that just gets me thinking oh yeah how would i answer that? i know right and it's like sometimes you i can do a workshop i've done a hundred times and like you come away going oh i'd never thought of it like that before and actually you just learn more Mm. every time even if it's on a kind of similar theme or whatever you just it just slightly changes your perspective yeah. around certain things as well for yeah, sure yeah, definitely and I think yeah that that often helps so sometimes it will be huh okay I got asked this or this situation came up this week mm. in, a, in a workshop so I can use that as a basis of a blog post 
other times it's like, well, I've been toying with this idea, I've been toying with that idea, I've got to come up with something now, so I'm just going to have to get it done. And do you keep a bit of a sort of blog post, good ideas park type thing? I do, although I find those ideas tend to fizzle. So quite often I go back to it and go, huh, I really don't want to write about that. But um, yeah, no, I tend to, and I think, yeah, we were talking about kind of shipping and that sort of thing. That's what I've, I've tended to do is someday, sometimes I ship something and I'm really not sure. Mm. And coming back to that lowering the stakes, I reassure myself in the fact that next week I can do better. Yeah. So I'm doing another one next week. This is just this week. So if people look at it and go, hmm, yeah, not bothered about that, hopefully they'll be forgiving enough to stick around long enough to read next week's. And, mm. and that's a reassurance I give myself. But often it does surprise me that people come back and go, oh, that was brilliant. I'm like, really, that one? <laughs> <laughs> And it does surprise me which ones resonate with people compared to yeah. the ones. And sometimes, yeah, the ones I've done on the fly, I get a lot more response on right. compared to the ones that I've really kind of crafted and took my time over. Mm. And I think it's just that, you know, we see things through a particular lens and we can't control how other people see things. And that's yeah. the beauty of it. I also think there's a real difference between the stuff that, certainly the stuff that excites me about productivity it tends to be now quite different mm. to the stuff that excites somebody who it, they're not thinking about productivity all the time. They're maybe doing a workshop for the first time on this subject either ever or for mm. eight years or whatever. Yeah. And so sometimes the things that are quite sort of like boring or basic to me because I've talked about them so many times mm. are the things where someone else goes, wow, that's the thing. Yeah. And the thing where I'm going, Wow, that's so cool. Everyone else is like, hey, what's that thing? <laughs> yeah, or, whatever. Really? Like, or, or they're thinking, well, that's obviously really basic or mm, whatever as well. You know, yeah. So there's just something interesting about that sort of the level of immersion mm. you have in a topic and how and it I resonates. Think, I think there's also something about kind of the rawness of something. So mm. the vulnerability, the realness. Um, you know, to give you an example, um, I'm part of, a, part of my singing is, you know, I'm, I do backing vocals in a church worship band. And um, last week, um, the um, my friend Amy, who was leading worship last week, she was, um, you know, she, she led, but she actually wasn't supposed to be on. She was covering for someone else, so um, it was very in the moment. She had to jump in at the last last moment and you know sing songs that she didn't pick. Because mm. I said to her afterwards, like they were quite high ones you went for, so I didn't go for them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> someone else went for them, but she's got you know glandular fever, and you know I'm going to have to jump in. And, and it was interesting because my husband went, wow, Amy was on fire today. Mm. I'm like, do you realise there was no practice? She didn't pick the songs. She just jumped in and did it. And we were chatting. I, I gave Amy that feedback and we were chatting about it and said, well, maybe there is something about when you haven't had the luxury of planning for something and yeah. you just have to go for it. And there's something about that abandon of throwing yourself in um, rather than thinking it through or overthinking it. Um, there's a certain, I think there's a certain vulnerability, there's a certain energy, there's a certain realness that goes into it that you can't manufacture when you can't plan mm. for. Yeah, totally. I think there's always those situations as well where the stuff that your lizard brain or mind monkey is kind of thinking is real for everyone else in the room mm. is actually just in your own head. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, so sometimes you're looking at that going, this is so obvious to everyone here that this is the first time I've sung this song or this is the first time mm. I'm doing this or whatever. Whereas to everyone else in the room, it just looks like this is a person in a suit who is obviously doing these slides and knows it really well and is yeah. 
sometimes just you know the body language thing just commanding the stage mm. you if you command the stage physically it no one's gonna know that you're delivering that content for the first time or that you're really nervous or that you're worried about how it's going to go down or whatever else and sometimes there's really subtle little things just mm. kind of all you need to overcome the lizard brain yeah. for sure i thought like that's quite a good point to um, finish up on um so let's just finish with uh let's direct people to your new website because i have website envy <laughs> uh grace marshall so uh just give us uh, how people can get hold of you and particularly your very shiny and nice new website <laughs> <laughs> so it's grace-marshall.com and yeah that's where you can find out all about me and um, look at my beautiful new website which I'm really pleased about um, but yeah that's where you could also grab a chapter of the book to get a flavour of that and links to everything else tons of stuff on the blog um, please do subscribe There's, um, I've put together what I call a really productive playlist so it's not 52 things to add to your to-do list but 52 ideas and ways to be less busy and more productive so it's kind cool. of a playlist you can pick and choose from um, but you know, get in touch yeah, ask me questions because that's when I seem to come up with my best ideas so please come ask me questions <laughs> and you're really good on the Twitter as well so what's, yeah. what's your Twitter handle just at to, Grace Marshall so just simply at Grace Marshall uh, so yeah come and find us on Twitter and uh, Grace thanks for, for coming all the way to Brighton um, I know you've had a fun day in the sunshine here as well but uh, thanks for coming down and being on beyond busy and we need to work out a way to get you on beyond busy more as well uh, so we will we'll figure that out once we've uh, pressed stop on the recorder right now uh, but thanks again <laughs> So that's it for my conversation with Grace Marshall. I hope you enjoyed that one. And if you're interested in what Think Productive does, we do a whole range of workshops from really short, one and a half hour, uh, kind of get people fired up around productivity stuff, right through to full day stuff. We do one called Stress Less, Achieve More, which is really hands-on, at-desk coaching, uh, helping you to establish a whole new way of working and uh, really to be able to work with a much greater sense of control and much less stress. Uh, and get more done, which is always a good thing. Uh, so that's of interest, uh, www.thinkproductive.co.uk and thinkproductive.com will take you to our various other offices around the world as well. Um, so if you want to bring Grace in as a Productivity Ninja to help your team, uh, do drop us a line. Uh, I'd love to just hear your thoughts in general. Graham at thinkproductive.co.uk, at Graham Alcott on Twitter. And uh, thanks, as always, to Mark Stedman, the producer for the show at Bloomsbury Digital. And as I said, the next one is going to be Simon Woodruff from Yo Sushi. That'll be out in two weeks' time. Uh, so hit the subscribe button if you want to uh, get an alert around that as soon as it comes out. And in the meantime, you'll find all the past episodes and show notes at getbeyondbusy.com. So if you go to getbeyondbusy.com, you'll find a whole heap of useful stuff there. So I'll see you in two weeks' time. I'll be in a much sunnier place, hopefully. Uh, I'm hoping Australia will give me some sunshine and uh, allow me to escape a little bit of the English winter, which is always a nice thing to do. Um, so I'll see you in two weeks with Simon Woodruff. And in the meantime, thanks for tuning in to Beyond Busy. See you soon. Bye.